at the end of the day, speak the business language. You know, let's find a way to kind of translate that risk into something simple. But teams don't want to see a list of vulnerabilities with here's kind of all the technical details of it. They want to understand what the impact is from a business standpoint. Hey, this is what it means to you. You know, downtime, lost money, lost data. When you make it simple like that, it's much easier. This is the Future of Cyber Risk podcast, brought to you by Team Cymru. I'm your host, David Monier, fellow at Team Cymru. Let's jump right into today's episode. Hey everyone, and thanks for listening to another episode of the Future of Cyber Risk podcast. Today I'm speaking with Joshua Scott, head of information security and IT at Postman. Postman is a company responsible for many of the APIs that most of you are probably using in the world. A uh, good chance they were developed there or are maintained via there or made it easier to implement via there. So they're probably one of the largest API companies in the world, helping people move data around. So Josh, thanks very much for joining us today. Hey, thanks, David. Thanks for having me on. Excellent. So Joshua, before we get started, we always like to start with having folks kind of introduce themselves and kind of talk about the story of your career path, you know, that brought you here to Postman. Okay. So yeah, I've been in the security space for a long time. I got involved in tech in like the mid nineties, started off as a help desk person right out of high school, didn't really know what I wanted to do from a career standpoint. And I think I found my calling in tech. I really enjoyed it. And then I started administering firewalls, probably like 1997, 1998 timeframe. So I was actually certified on IBM firewall, which, you know, it's funny that IBM had a firewall back in the day. Sure. So really enjoyed it. One of the things I loved about security was that it allowed me to kind of touch everything. I loved tech and security gave me the opportunity to get involved in a lot more areas and understand how things work. So it was fun. It was really, really fun. I found it to be just, I found my calling basically. So I spent a lot of time, you know, my first company was four or five years and I moved on to, you know, kind of another small company Then I spent like six years at a large engineering company, one of the third largest in the world was the, you know, kind of principal architect there for security. And then I spent 13 years at realtor.com, you know, and that's kind of where I really moved into more of the actual leadership side of things. So I built out a team there, you know, spent a few years as a technical contributor and then ended up becoming the CISO there. So built out a team and, you know, had a, a, you know, well-functioning, high-performing team and, yeah, after 13 years there, I figured it was time to kind of go somewhere else. And that's uh, pretty much how I found Postman. Nice. So, and here I am now three years into it and loving it. Excellent. Well, for what it's worth, I started around the same time. So yeah. we've seen some of the same wars there. Oh, yep. sure yep. Blaster and Sasser. Oh, God. Yeah. I remember all, all those stuff. Nimda yeah. and SQL, SQL oh, Blaster. Yeah. Yep. SQL Slammer. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. Sure. And uh, what was it? I think Windows XP Service Pack 2, you couldn't even get it installed without yeah. it at the time. <laughs> I remember back in the day when McAfee actually had like, you know, all these cool tools back in the, like the late nineties, you know, oh, yeah. uh, CyberCop and Network Scanner and all those different types. You know, oh, so, oh yeah. The good, yeah. I would call them good old days, but I think they're yep. just old days. So. Just old days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Josh, tell us some about what life is like at Postman, you know, what your day to day looks like and what parts do you enjoy the most? Yeah. We're not really a startup anymore. I mean, we're almost 10 years old, so the company has been around for a while. I've been here three years, so the pace is still very fast. You know, we are maturing a lot in a lot of areas and security is definitely, you know, a very important thing. So, you know, leading teams, part of my job is I'm the team therapist. So I spend a lot of my time talking with, you know, the team, making sure I can actually remove, uh, you know, roadblocks for them. I am technical too, so I still like to understand how things work so I can kind of be the, you know, effectively the translator for my team, you know, understanding the business side of things, but also being the, you know, the translator between kind of what they're working on and what the business needs. So what I find fulfilling, I mean, pretty much all aspects of the job. I mean, I love security. Like the reason I got into it was just, it kind of fit my character. It fit who I am. I really like to 
understand how things work, figure out how to protect them. And I feel like I'm contributing to something, you know, really good, I guess. It's just, you know, I'm protecting the company. I'm helping, you know, them do their business well. And it just, it feels good. Awesome. Plus, I really, I really love leading teams, actually. It, you know, when you get a really high-performing team around you, it just, it's very satisfying to actually help them and, you know, get them through and mentor them and, and get them to deliver, you know, amazing solutions. Yeah, absolutely. So for your team, are you focused primarily on uh, Postman's infrastructure security or also the product security, meaning like all the things that get sent to you guys? Or can you uh, scope some of what your team's responsible for? So I I lead pretty much all of security. So that covers, you know, everything from compliance and governance risk compliance, you know, interactions with customers from a security standpoint. So security assurance and, you know, the questionnaire cycles, product security, application security, corporate security. I also own, you know, the IT operations side of things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the implementation and, you know, support side of IT. And parts of IT are, you know, pretty decentralized. So like, you know, the DevOps teams and kind of, uh, you know, the infrastructure teams are owned by someone else, but we own, you know, all of the plumbing that goes into, you know, things like Okta and things like identity and all that. Sure. Uh, so. Yeah, it's quite a lot. So for a period of time, I actually owned one of the product squads as well. So that was related to security. So that's where things like our token scanner, you know, the teams were working on that and they were working on our audit log service. So we have a lot of influence into kind of the features that go out to our customers as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so for you guys, are a lot of your customers making most use of you as a development expediter, you know, so that they can make reuse, let's call them fragments, code fragments, API fragments, you know, let's say, is that where you find uh, most of your customers are getting value out of what you guys do is they don't have to keep reinventing the wheel? I mean, part of it is, you know, they're using it for testing and then mapping out APIs, documenting them, getting a better understanding of, you know, Postman initially was basically an API client, right? A REST client. And then we've added all these additional capabilities to help with the entire development workflow of creating an API and, you know, testing it, publishing it, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, so customers will be, you know, it, it really depends on the customer. We've got some customers that leverage our monitoring service extensively to kind of test out you know, the contracts within their API to make sure that it's working, you know, accordingly. We've got some of them that are using it for collaborative. We're basically, you know, think of it like GitHub, a repo, like our workspaces are akin to a repo within GitHub, right? It's it's, it's a collaborative development environment. So we're not really, it's an API management tool, but it's really more of a collaborative tool. That's the kind of the main value add. Sure. Okay. So as you guys have grown, I know when you started initially, it was like essentially just a browser plugin, right? So you could take a look and snoop on the data transactions, you know, that you're doing. Uh, and then boom, fast forward, what, 10 years or so, nine years, and, you know, you guys are that massive piece of kind of the development ecosystem, right? That puts you squarely into the supply chain, you know, of kind of the universe, if you will. How has that, as you guys became popular, then, you know, the world started to rely on you more as a side effect of that popularity, right? How has the reality of kind of becoming a key piece to many supply chains, because that's essentially, you know, what you've done with your success, right? How has that changed over time, how you guys approach security as a whole? Like as that reality came along, I could see that kind of being a at least a perceptive shift, right? And what is security to us now? It kind of pushes your envelope further and further out, right? The more things you have to be concerned with. Yeah. How has that experience been? And when along the way did you guys realize like, oh, we're a critical component now to everybody else because we're succeeding? Yeah. I mean, that's a good question. So as long as I've been here, security was very important. That's one of the reasons why I joined is I really liked what the founders had to say about security. And it was something that I spent many years at my previous job having to convince leadership and and convince the company that 
we should do, you know, certain security items, right? It was always kind of this exercise in convincing them. Whereas I started here and there was no need to convince them. It was something that had been kind of in the the culture of the company from way before I joined. So that made it really easy. Now we've continued to expand. You know, when I joined, it was 300 employees and, you know, market share was a little bit smaller. So we've grown tremendously over the last three years. And, you know, trust is key, right? Everything is based on reputation and trust. And so we've only made it stronger. We've doubled down on kind of what we're doing from a security standpoint, making sure that we understand anywhere that customers are entrusting us with their data, we're protecting it. We're doing everything we can and we're not perfect just like anybody, right? So, you know, it's a constant, how do we continue to, you know, enhance our measures and enhance the measures we put both in the corporate side of things, the product side of things, but also the features that we actually give out to customers. So it, it's, we understand that we are a part of the ecosystem, the supply chain, and, you know, we don't take that lightly. Excellent. That's uh, fantastic to hear. So as someone who's been a security leader, has started up teams, things like that, let me ask you, what are some things that most practitioners you think kind of get wrong? I think I see a lot of lack of empathy at times. You know, put yourself in the other person's shoes, right? So we automatically assume, oh, yes, somebody should just, you know, it's simple. You just put in this one control and, you know, you'll be fixed. But you never realize what the other person is dealing with. You never realize what kind of deadlines, what kind of goals, objectives, whatever their OKRs are uh, from their side. So I don't think people want to do the wrong thing. I think they have you know, different objectives within their team and they may not have the time or the understanding of it, right? So I think that's one thing we can do is have a little bit more empathy. Yeah, I mean, that's probably one of the biggest things. I talk about that a lot with my teams is just, you know, make sure you put yourself in the other person's shoes. I think something else we get wrong too is we make it way too complicated. We make it way too technical. Security doesn't have to be, I mean, there are some very technical aspects of it. And when you get into like the nitty gritty details of encryption or, you know, that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, speak the business language. You know, let's find a way to kind of translate that risk into something simple. But teams don't want to see a list of vulnerabilities with here's kind of all the technical details of it. They want to understand what the impact is from a business standpoint. Hey, this is what it means to you. You know, downtime, lost money, lost data. When you make it simple like that, it's much easier. I mean, I found early in my career, like I was the one that would write up, you know, these 10 page reports and provide all this technical detail because I understood the technical side of it. And I never understood why nobody, like, why weren't we adopting these things? Why weren't we doing this? It's like, look, it's obvious. Here's 10 pages to, you know, show you how it's obvious. Sure. And I found out that I was speaking a different language, right? They're looking at me like, you know, deer in headlights, like, I have no idea what you're talking about. So I started really kind of, you know, condensing it down, simplifying it, removing as much jargon as possible. And, you know, lo and behold, people started, you know, hey, let's adopt that. I understand that now. Let's, that makes sense. Let's do that. So I think that's something that, you know, from a practitioner standpoint is find a way to really simplify it. Mm -hmm. Sure. No, I think most of the complaints of security teams come down to usually one of two categories. One is they didn't know to know, and the other is they don't have buy-in for the things that they think they do know. And I think it always comes down to the people don't understand what you're saying, and that's why they're not bought in. Yeah. Uh, it's not that they're dumb. It's that, that, you know, they don't understand what you're saying. Like you said, I've seen that play out plenty of times. Yep. As someone who goes out and, you know, builds teams and in particular, you know, greenfield experiences where you went and like stood up whole teams, what skills do you look for? Like what skills do you think are most critical for practitioners now? And what skills do you predict will be more important as we move into, say, the next decade? Ah, really good question. So I look for a lot of the soft skills. Everybody can learn technical things for the most part. You know, anybody that has an interest in technology. I, one thing I've noticed too, is I do a lot of like, I don't know if you're familiar with like the strengths finder from Gallup, but that's something, you know, that you do this test where you basically get like, what are your top strengths? And I found that, you know, if you focus on what you're really good at, what you're passionate about, you know, you're going to be much more successful, right? Instead of like trying to, you know, improve a weakness. So that's kind of, you know, that's always been kind of my philosophy. And what I've found is finding those folks who are really passionate about, you know, technology or certain areas and that want to learn more and they're very curious. Those are kind of the soft skills I look for because 
I found it, you know, if you put somebody on something that they're really passionate about and they're curious about, they're going to do amazing things. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's part of it. And also I think from a actual skill standpoint, like the, we're not seeing enough of within, you know, a lot of the industries is, you know, thinking about like automation and scripting and, you know, being able to actually automate some of our work because there's always like a hundred things that we have to do. And we're generally only staffed to do about 10, right? You know, and that's just the reality of security. And it's always going to be that way because the business moves fast. There's always change. Mm -hmm. So how do we, you know, we've got to find ways to automate some of the mundane and some of the common tasks we do and simplify that. And, you know, even, you know, to a certain extent, some form of process engineering to like simplify the, our lives. I think those are kind of the key things I, I look for is, you know, folks who can think outside the box and, you know, not just manage something the way that the books say or the way that the, you know, the CISSP test was. It's like, no, let's think about it differently. How do we solve this so we don't have to worry about it again, number one? And how do we challenge some of this, you know, the, the status quo that we know? Yeah. So out of curiosity, so when you're meeting somebody typically in an interview process, right, curiosity is kind of hard to pin down in that environment, right? Or in that situation, yeah. I should say, what are some of the methods you use to try to determine if somebody is that out of the box psychological approach to things? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I'll ask them questions on like, you know, what some of the projects that they've enjoyed working on, what are, you know, and, and kind of to dive deep into them. You know, I remember when I was a practitioner, you know, I had a home lab set up. So I like to, you know, kind of ask about those kind of things and see if, you know, it, like some of the trigger words are, you know, I, yeah, I've got a home lab set up or I've got something where I'm continually doing it or I'm writing about it or something that shows where, you know, especially if they've got a, any kind of media presence or they've got a GitHub, you know, page with a lot of different repos that, mm -hmm. you know, but that doesn't, you know, that's not the only indicator. It's just something that shows, like you can see when people light up when they talk about something that they're very interested in. And then I'll, you know, kind of continue to dive in that area to, to get a better understanding. I mean, I'm generally, you know, from an interview cycle, you know, typically I'm like the third person that gets brought in. So, you know, I have, you know, other engineers, more technical folks actually involved mm -hmm. who kind of grill them on some of those details. But I look for kind of that, that curiosity, and that culture fit. And that's just kind of through asking about, you know, what they enjoy and asking them to dive deep into a particular problem space that they, you know, encountered. Okay. Yeah. We have found that culture is the biggest fit question at Team Cymru, because a lot of the things that we do aren't necessarily motivated by budget or by, I should say, aren't motivated necessarily by money, right? Uh, where a company founded with the intention to make the world a better place. Uh, well, that doesn't always mean go make the most money. So that's where we spend the most amount of time is making sure people aren't going to freak out when we, you know, turn down doing business with somebody who perhaps, you know, wants to do something that we don't agree with. So one of the things that we have found is if you get people who won't disagree at a cultural level, they tend to go along at, with the business decisions because they are, you know, like mind. But that's where we spend a great deal of our time as well. Yeah, you mentioned kind of, you know, the disagreement part. Like there's something I also look for too is just, I think conflict is healthy, right? If you have healthy conflict within a team, that's how you get to, you know, innovative solutions, right? Is people should be questioning each other and calling each other out in a respectful way and, you know, having that level of trust, right? But that's, I look for that within the interview as well. Like, you know, I will sometimes even throw out like just a bad idea just to kind of see what they would say. Right. And it makes a difference because the people who are willing to call it out and say, I wouldn't do it that way, or here's what I would do. There's, you can kind of tell, you know, whether they're a culture fit from that standpoint too. Oh, sure. Yes. That's actually a good idea. Knowingly propose some crazy idea yeah. to see if they just say, yeah, that's great. Let's do it. Yeah. I do that at my team meetings as well as, you know, and my teams know that over the years that I will, you know, randomly just throw in a really bad idea to see who's going to call me out on it. Yeah, uh, that's actually a good idea. I, I may have to adopt that. That's yeah. funny. So, you know, given your role, Postman's role in kind of the data world, right? Obviously, you know, and we talked about your guys' place in kind of everybody's supply chain, whether they realize it or not, it's another story. But obviously you guys do, as you said. Tell us some about how 
your company goes about ensuring that like all of the staff there kind of under, so think security awareness, right? But how they go about knowing like, hey, we're very important to other people's development and this is how we are. And what kind of security awareness programs do you guys use? That type of stuff. Obviously, I'm not asking you to spill the beans, but can you give us some idea about how you go about maintaining that posture organization-wide? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a combination of things, right? Part of it is, you know, champions or advocates, right? So we've got, you know, and, and we double down on kind of training and we're not as far along in some of these areas as we want to be, but that's part of the approach is finding those people who are passionate about security that are, you know, in adjacent areas, right? Somebody on the DevOps side, somebody on the development side, and then having them, you know, champion and be an advocate for it. I'm actually of the opinion that I think I want to minimize as much security training that I do to employees because I want them to focus on doing their job. So I want to put in guardrails. I want to make security as seamless and as easy as possible so people don't have to worry about, you know, doing that, right? Because when you think about it, if you're going to go ask a developer to go, you know, do uh, some extensive training, you're taking them away from creating that great product. So I'd much rather, you know, yes, of course, we need to make them aware of certain things. We need to make them aware of our policies and the way we do things and our and our procedures and making sure that they follow those. But do they need to be a security expert? No, we're going to have some folks who are, you know, the security experts, right? That, you know, the champions or our security team, but everyone else, they just need to work within the confines of our system. And the same thing for, you know, anybody, like even phishing, you know, it's like, why don't we rely more on the technologies that are out there instead of trying to train every single employee and on how to spot a fish, we can make them aware, hey, here's some, some new threats and things that are coming out there. But I don't want to take up everybody's time on, you know, things that, it's, I mean, we all, everybody falls for fishing, right? I've fallen for it too, right? It's, you know, even a good person can, you know, get caught in these kind of things. So we don't need to make them experts. We just need to make them aware of kind of, you know, how we do things. So that's kind of the approach we do. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. You know, the fishing test thing, I always enjoy the memes I see of people who are yeah, like, uh, uh, they're giving the award to the guy. It's, a, it's one of the clips from the office where I forget the boss's name, but he's got like the mullet and there's a guy like shaking his hand. I used to like employee of the month or something. And it was like the security, the CISO out giving an award for the most secure <laughs> yeah. employee. And the, and the guy who's receiving is like, he never reads email to begin with. He doesn't open any email. Yeah. Uh, always makes me laugh. That is funny. So, yeah. It's a good one. So Looking out, you know, down the road, where do you see, because obviously API and, and let's call it data plumbing as a whole, right, that is only going to get even more in particular as we start to kind of unify workflows where there's disparate tools, but now we need to make this data go through this other tool and so on. So I, I predict more and more data flow, more and more API interactions and whatnot. What issues, like if you could look down the road as far as concerns and security issues go, what do you think will be the challenges that are unique to you? And then if you want to expand more broadly, what do you predict for kind of the internet world as a whole? I think one of the, well, just from the internet world as a whole and APIs in general, right? One of the challenges that we have faced, and it's kind of a longstanding challenge, it's inventory, knowing what you have. You know, mm -hmm. because everybody's got APIs and APIs are the core of everything that's done, there's the proliferation of them everywhere. They're everywhere, they're used for everything, and, you know, not everybody necessarily knows about them. And that's kind of, the you know, problem number one, right? You can't protect what you don't know about. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's going to continue to be a problem just because of, you know, the ability of all these different tools, you know, things like Airtable, where you can just go create, an, you know, a base and set up a new API, and all of a sudden those become part of your your company's workflow for certain types of processes. I mean, there's so many tools like that. So I I, I think the... The explosion of SaaS and just everybody, you know, especially cloud native companies that are relying on everything SaaS based, that's going to continue to be a problem until we get to a point where, you know, there's a better way to kind of inventory things. And that's a hard thing to solve. Mm -hmm. um, we try to, you know, so 
our Postman platform has an internal API network where you can actually publish and keep track of your APIs. So we use that. We're trying to look at ways to actually make that even simpler so we can help solve that problem, right? Because how do we, how do you actually go out and discover and find things and keep them up to date and, and know about your inventory? I think that's you know, problem number one, right? Get, get the inventory down. Another common problem that I think will hopefully get solved in the next, you know, a few years is, but it's a, a challenging one, right? Number one, authentication and just credentials, right? That's, you look at almost every hack that happens, every kind of breach, it's somebody leaked the credential or they forgot to put authentication on an endpoint. The challenge there is, you know, we need to move away from kind of these legacy ways. And so kind of like, you know, you look at passwordless and what we're doing now with like, you know, corporate logins, you know, like OctaFast Pass and things like that, or even, uh, you know, pass keys is moving to something that's a little bit more phishing resistant or, you know, something along those lines where it's, you know, tied to the machine, it's tied to various other factors. Mm -hmm. We've got to think that we got to think that way with APIs as well. So even a key leak itself doesn't necessarily mean the end of the world. Mm -hmm. um, I think those are kind of the, the big things. So we're trying to figure out, you know, how do we do that as well? Because just like anybody else, we have lots of APIs and we're also trying to figure out to make sure that, you know, not just minimizing the impact, but eliminating the impact of a key leak. You know, it's, mm -hmm. I have MFA on certain accounts where not, I have MFA everywhere, right? But like, I don't, I'm not worried about my password being leaked because I know I have MFA on everything that, you know, within my Postman domain. That's what we need to get to, I think, for APIs. Sure. Because I, I think that's going to persist. Sure. No, I, I absolutely agree. Curious. So you mentioned there some talking about how you are working to manage internally, how you guys handle APIs and whatnot, as the fact that API is your business, right? Let's say in the course of doing business, you know, you guys have probably discovered new best practices and they weren't known to be a best practice yet. It was just your wealth, your practice. And then over time, well, it becomes the best practice because you guys were the leaders, you know, in, in that space. How often have you guys found where like, hey, we've done this and we should go tell everybody. And when you do, how do you guys go about that? Do you guys do like information campaigns to your customers to be like, hey, here's some best practice ideas, you know, that type of stuff. Is that uh, part of the offerings that you guys give? They definitely do that on the DevRel side and mm -hmm. on our, you know, basically our teams that are actually handling, you know, outreach to the customers. So there mm -hmm. are a lot of things that are happening there and there are communications, you know, API first, and we've, you know, we've got the book around API, you know, the API first journey. So there's a lot of stuff that's actually been handed out to there. From a security standpoint, we probably haven't done as much as we should. You know, we're still kind of, you know, hyper-focused on just making sure that we continue to build that trust and, and everything around our own practices and making sure that, you know, we continue to double down too on that. So, you know, that is the intention, right? Because as we have a better understanding of kind of just the API landscape, there's definitely an opportunity to, you know, help improve the general, you know, security of APIs across the industry. Okay. What's down the road for Postman? Anything that you can share with us that you guys have planned? Any exciting news uh, in the near future? I mean, nothing, you know, continuing to grow, continuing to kind of, you know, expand, uh, you know, what we do from a, an API platform standpoint. You know, we've recently added some, you know, additional capabilities around our token scanner, which has been great, right? We know it's definitely a high priority to make sure that we can get away from the impact of leaked credentials within our public entities. So there's, you know, there's definitely work being done there, improving that, making sure that we can, you know, continue to uh, protect our customers. From an internal standpoint, we, you know, we have definitely big plans on what we're going to do with it from a team standpoint. And, you know, my goal is to make sure that, uh, you know, security, again, is seamless, that we're protecting the business, but that it's it's transparent as much as possible, right? It, you can't be transparent everywhere, but, you know, that it's easy for employees. And then, you know, also that I own IT, right? We want to be able to enable our Postman employees to do their best work, right? Which means bringing on the right tools and bringing on the right processes and making things easy for them to do their job. Mm -hmm. um, because if we're making it complicated, then, you know, they're not going to get things done. Okay. 
So what do you think the future of kind of cyber risk management, you know, through the lens of kind of API security, what do you think that looks for for everyone, you know, not just specifically to Postman, but what do you think the future holds for everybody? I think there's an AI agent that takes care of all of it for us at some point. Yeah. <laughs> with the with rate that uh, everything's changing with, within the AI space, it's a space I'm really interested in and I, you know, read about it a lot and, you know, not super, super knowledgeable about everything in there, but I am trying to learn, but it's, it's interesting. And the pace that it's moving is crazy. So I, you know, I'm very interested in all these different, you know, security companies that are actually popping up that, that are doing very, not just, you know, like a, an AI firewall type thing, but ones that are actually using AI to actually augment the security process, like, you know, a SOC, an autonomous SOC, you know, saw one vendor recently that was doing something like that. Like we, from a Postman standpoint, we have our Postbot tool, which actually generates, you know, security tests or not security tests, which generates functional tests you know, automatically leveraging AI. So that's something I challenge my team on. It's like, why can't we do something similar within an application security standpoint? So that's where I see kind of the future is, you know, a lot of these kind of, you know, that the frequently performed tasks, we've got some kind of AI agent handling them, or at least handling a portion of it, right? AI is not going to be perfect. It's going to have issues. It's still going to require people to kind of validate and make sure that's done well. But if it can take out half of the work on a particular process, that's still valuable than 0%. So that's what I see in the next five years, but probably sooner. I would imagine in the next one to two years, we'll see AI more heavily involved in kind of security workflows. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that day is coming. If it's not yeah. here, I, yeah. I totally agree with you. My big worry in that space is that we could get to a point where AI is producing, let's call it plausible enough answers for enough time that what is accurate starts to slide. Uh, yeah. And I could see us being in some future, I won't call it dystopian, but uh, I could see us being in some future where some detail is a detail only because some AI made it up and it becomes somehow a fact. I could see that kind of uh, stuff going on. It blew my mind when they so quickly attached GPT-4, chat GPT-4 to the internet. Like I thought, wow, that's yeah. very bold. You know, so it's out there reading new content every day. I can only imagine, you know, what the crazy people that make up the internet as a whole, uh, well, you know, what they're yeah. for this thing. It's just like anything, right? If you can, tr if you teach it something bad, it's going to know something bad, right? That's so, right. Yeah. yeah, that's my concern. Definitely is, you know, how do we actually ensure that the information that I mean, I think you know, ChatGPT and, and the, the models, you know, they're they're crawling Reddit forums, they're crawling right. all kinds of different places. So, you know, there's been plenty of times I've seen advice in those forums. It's not really good advice. So yeah. it's like, all right, you know, is that, it's something I tell my teams all the time, right? Use those tools, they're tools, they're tools in the arsenal, but yeah. make sure that when you read it, you know, you kind of put your security, you know, your thinking cap on and say, all right, does this make sense? Is this, you know, plausible? Let me actually run it past somebody else. So we definitely have to do, have that sanity check and that expert check. Right. So, absolutely. Yeah. Because if we're not careful, we'll have, uh, you know, 4chan will turn out to be the yeah. arbiters of sanity down the road. Uh, you know, I hope somebody helps us. Yeah, no so, kidding. Final thoughts. I'd like to ask everybody, in particular folks that are in your shoes, uh, who are in leadership roles, I'd like to ask everybody as the uh, their parting comment to leave us and our listeners with three actionable pieces of advice. What do you have? I'd say the first one is don't be the team from a security standpoint, don't be the team that just creates work for everyone else, right? Because that's what, you know, security teams have historically been known to do, right? We're the team that just finds issues and tells you where you're wrong and throws it over the fence. Mm -hmm. um, we've got to find ways to help the business, right? So, you know, basically don't be the one that the team that creates work for them, find ways to help them solve the problems, be a partner, be an enabler. Um, that's one piece of advice. I think the other thing is understanding your business, right? Make sure you understand your business, how it's successful and what your role is, right? 
we're not here to make sure that you know security is not binary. It's not like you know you you're perfect security or you're not, right? Because that, that doesn't exist. So you've got to understand what is appropriate for your business and you know how you make money and and in some cases risk is you know tolerable, acceptable. You know mm -hmm. it really depends. So understanding that and then how security fits in to actually help the business get there. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's another you know really important thing. I think lastly is just you know having empathy. I think that's kind of the other thing, making sure you put yourself in the other person's shoes. So when you find something, you know, people, you know, like a coder, right? Or somebody that creates a solution, it's their baby, it's their solution, right? So then when a security person comes in and says, oh yeah, you did this wrong, you did that wrong, you did that wrong, they're of course going to get a little bit defensive, right? Anybody does, anybody would. You know, with maturity, obviously, you know, maybe they understand that, you know, we're not there to attack them, but it does come across that way. So we've got to have empathy with actually how we approach our stakeholders, our counterparts, our engineers, et cetera. Yeah, no, absolutely agreed. You know, the kind of lack of empathy, like you said, also builds into the second point that you had talking about understanding the needs of the business, right? That tends to just go out the window, in particular with security practitioners. A lot of folks, what I would say, they don't understand that you must have appetite for risk. There's no such thing as zero appetite for risk. It's like saying, I'm going to the beach, but I don't like water or sand. You know, you can't work in information today and have no interest in risk or no tolerance or no, you know, taste at all for risk. Because I mean, uh, whether people like it or not, risk like, you know, a hard drive failing is a piece of risk, right? And that's a disaster. Do you know what I'm saying? So like potentially. So like yeah. a lot of folks, they think that like, well, let's not do anything because that's the most secure way to do things. Well, if you're not going to do anything, then why are you in business? And then who's going to pay you to do something that isn't risky? Well, you know, not many people. There's a yeah. reason why people are in business. And in my, I guess, 28 years now, something like that, the thing that I've noticed most of security practitioners is that they completely forget why the business is functioning to begin with. They get hung up on this idea of this magical state known as secure. And what they don't realize is like, well, if it were going to be totally draconian, we would just turn the stuff off and not need it altogether. But apparently we do need it because we're in business and that's why the stuff is running. But that has been a, uh, I have been in a nearly knockdown drag out board meetings where people were disagreeing over whether or not to accept something or not. When it was something they had no choice, you have to accept some of this because this is your business. This is yeah. what you're doing. You know, I mean, risk is part of life, right? When you think about it, you drive to work, you get in a car, you're taking a risk. Absolutely. You, there's so many other factors you can't control. Which route do I go? Do I take the freeway? Do I not? It's all of that is, you know, we manage risk all day long, right? Absolutely. Every decision we make. So it, it is part of business. And that's the thing. We're here for our companies. We're not, they're not hiring us because they just want a security person. They're hiring us to actually help the business. Yeah, absolutely the case. So Josh, that's all the time that we have today. Thanks so much for joining us. Very insightful. Uh, very, very good to hear that. I will say it. One of the most critical software component companies in the world is in good hands. I don't think that many people are aware of the supply chain, digital, let's call it digital supply chain risk. I don't think many people have totally fully realized uh, how all of that works and so therefore can't build their security models around it. So, you know, you kind of have the weight of the world on your shoulders a little bit because I think, you know, other people's security is more your responsibility than perhaps other folks realize. So that's great. I'm it's great to hear that you're running good team there. Do you have social media? Do you have, are you on LinkedIn, you know, Twitter, this type of stuff or whatever we call it now, X, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but uh, how do folks uh, follow what you're up to? Uh, do you publish research, any of that type of stuff? 
Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. You know, that's definitely one place. And also I have my website, joshuascott.net, which is where I, you know, try to keep some of the stuff that I've uh, been involved with, you know, media articles and all that kind of stuff and podcasts. Uh, I keep them there. Those are primarily the two. I think I have an X account, but I, I don't know where, I don't know what it is right now. I stopped using awesome. it a while ago. Yeah, no problem. No, me too. Uh, years ago in my case. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, same. Uh, once it became a big yelling match, that seemed to be yeah, exactly. yeah. what yeah. it was for a while. So, um, well, thanks so much. And to our listeners, folks, we'll have links to Josh's mini and whatnot in the show notes. And that's all the time we have today. Thanks so much for everybody for listening in. And Joshua, thanks so much for joining us. Yep. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Future of Cyber Risk podcast brought to you by Team Cymru. For the latest episodes, please visit team-cymru.com or search Future of Cyber Risk on your podcast platform of choice. Thanks, and we'll catch you on the next episode.